Today is Wednesday. It is uh, September 30, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have, this hour where we can come together and fellowship and uh, talk about some of the successes and uh, that we have had and also some of the areas where we want to come to you with prayer and lifting those up who are suffering in this world. And in particular, we have um, uh, Kenny, who is in the hospital currently, who is, you know his condition. We pray for healing in his case as well. And uh, hopefully there's a solution that comes out of uh, what is happening with the dialysis, the need of that. Also, we're going to pray for uh, Marvin, who also recently lost his brother, Gordon, and is still himself in pain from an, a hernia operation. We're praying for uh, Dwight's co-workers. Uh, both uh, the co-worker and his wife were in the hospital for COVID, and you know their names, you know who they are. We're lifting them up in prayer. Father, we're also lifting up everybody who was associated with us, and their names are not mentioned, who are suffering and in some sort of financial or pain, or whatever the cause may be, Lord, we pray for them as well. And also we pray that we, as we open your word, that we will have wisdom, that we will come to know you better. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So our our normal course of study, where we are, is in Romans chapter 8, and we probably will get to, we're finishing 23, but we'll look at 24 too. So looking forward to getting there. But we will take a little bit of time, we have maybe 10 minutes or so, 15 tops, see if there are any questions out there. We'll pause. The floor is open. I just had a question that deals more with a general curiosity around the Book of Romans. Sure, Dwight, and go right ahead. That is, yeah, that is in regard to um, striking up conversations with people that we encounter, that I encounter, and I find it very often that the conversation has to be pretty precise. You know, I either I'm going to talk about grace and salvation, the simple gospel, or we're going to see if we're ready to talk about more. Um, and in the, in the rare cases, will somebody be on the, on the page and ready for more? So the, the book of Romans seems to address all of those different um, target audiences and, and dealing with everything from you know, the dispute between the Gentiles and the Jews, um, the bad news, as well as the good news of the simple gospel, and then he gets into even more, um, you know, talking about uh, being transformed by the renewal of, his, of our minds through the Spirit, with which we are baptized and we are, you know, we have the right to call uh, Father Abba. 
what you've already said and I, I would just comment on it that Romans is a pretty thorough book isn't it has a lot of uh, information that is you know from I mean from the basics from the bad news I mean even for when we deal with Romans 1 and how unbelievers uh, see God and reject him even though they know he's God they still refuse to believe in him and then they make up their own gods in in place of him so it goes from you know unbeliever reversionism to uh to what it takes to become a believer what about jews what about gentiles is there any difference between the two and, uh yeah so and then it just from there it builds and then where we are now as you pointed out, who are sons, and wow, we went all the way from there to the fact that we're sons in Christ. So we learn quite a bit when we think about the book of Romans and how it uh, it should appeal to everybody. I mean, there's, it really gives us a very straightforward. There was something, I, I, when you were talking, I turned to Romans 1, and I was looking at... Um, something I, I remember reading i don't know if it was about me researching romans or what but it was um yeah so let's see if i can find it uh, if if i don't in the next few seconds we'll postpone it and i'll just summarize where paul goes in to say that he was going to give a thorough rendering of what he was uh, uh of the gospel right uh, the apostle and gospel of god and the gospel promised beforehand by the prophets and holy scriptures yeah well and i'll summarize what my thoughts were in that is that paul undertakes the full counsel of god in the book of romans he deals with every aspect and i think that's part of what you might want to see is that full counsel. In other words, he addresses every point of it. Somewhere in the book it says that. I could find it. I don't want to take our precious time to do so. But just to note, we already know it because we just talked about it. And then I think somewhere in the gospel, or not the gospel, but the book of Romans, it says that, what his intention was in writing the book. So, so maybe it could be toward the end as well. But uh, it, nonetheless, we... we um, the book of Romans is foundational to us to get that full counsel of God. If you understand the book of Romans, you are grounded. And then if you add Galatians onto that, you truly have a grasp of what God's plan is. And, and then, obviously, there are books that get into uh, more depth and detail Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, right? So there's there's a lot more. And as we're studying the book of John, and on Sundays, you can see the depth there. So the Word of God, just like it says in Hebrews, is alive and powerful. Well, that's Timothy. 
But either way, the verse I'm thinking of in Hebrews is how it talks about it is a critic of thoughts and intents of the heart, you know. All of that is very crucial for us so that we need that grounding, especially in the world that we live in today where truth is being questioned. Uh, there's modernism. There's all these things that are happening to the church and, and even just thought, philosophy, when it comes to the word. There's Eastern philosophy that is uh, making great inroads. People side with that, that thinking. And truth is relative. It's, there's no such thing as absolute truth. The Bible is confused. It, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. It doesn't have to mean what you say. It can mean what I say. And that I can stick my chest out and my chin forward and say that just without having to worry about any contextual thought. So there's all these things that we have to fight. Romans helps us be grounded in the Word. And I, I'm going to pause let your... See if what you're thinking uh, in this. I, I find it interesting um, and helpful that um, that you turned it around like that to point back to myself. <laughs> so it's not just about the target audience that I'm with, but also the impact of studying Romans and getting the full gamut of everything that um, is offered through the mystery um, mm -hmm. in addition to salvation. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm very often in the, probably similar to other people's experiences, but I wound up um, confronting people or interacting with people who are just at the level of under, fully understanding the um, the boundaries and the extent of what salvation by grace really means. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like you said, a lot of people can say it and they can pull out a few verses, but they don't necessarily live it. Um, they don't necessarily put their trust in it. Um, so sometimes I'm just telling them, you know, study three, four, and five, and maybe six just to understand the bad news and the good news. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, it's interesting how I can do part of that book, but not necessarily the whole thing um, to go, go through it. Yeah, in fact, um, Romans deals with uh, the detail. And if people don't want the detail, obviously they take what they can. People will take what they can according to their spiritual growth level. Right? We understand what we understand. It's like trying to teach a child. Well, you have to talk down to them. You can't tell them everything that's on your heart. And things that you do want to tell them, you have to couch it in a way that they would understand. So as we grow, we get more detail and more detail. So by the time you're an adult, you understand that thing from the ground up. I mean, it's like taking your car to a mechanic. Well, this is how it used to be anyway. They knew how an engine worked, and they could t tear it down and build it back. Well, I don't know what the computers and all the technology, a lot of those, those guys aren't around as much anymore. But that kind of mechanic is what we're looking to be for the word. 
We want to be able to look at it forwards, backwards, sideways, up and down, everywhere you can think of, because that is how we get the fullness of what is being said. So when we walk away and say, man, I understand that truth, it doesn't mean that we've, you know, grasped every grain of, of, of information from it, but we have a, a, a very good understanding of what God is trying to tell us. And he adds more all the time. He's always rounding out some of the things we believe. Yeah, I came to this thought as I was listening to one of my, you know, uh, the tapes that we had one, one, one day. I think, what was it? Was it? It was way back in um, John, at the end of John. And I was listening to it and I thought, something just popped into my head. And, and I thought, wow, and, you know, I... There was something I hadn't seen before. And just, you know, I had gone through that in John, but I hadn't seen that when I went through it. But then as I went back to look at it, there it was. It was like, it was so obvious. Why didn't I see that before? Why didn't I say that? And I didn't. So in any case, we'll, we'll move on to other things, but I know I'm taking up more time than... But that's the idea, is always have an expectation when you're looking at the Word. Always know that God has, that has not told you the last of it. Many things are so obvious to, you know, to God. He, he wrote it right there, but then when we look at it, we just don't see it. We just aren't, you know why we don't see it? Because we're not looking for it. We're not prepared to see it. So it takes a little bit of preparation. And so that's why we always want to be or have a spirit of expectation with God. You know, where we know there's more. There's always more for him to tell us. So I'll pause, but I know our time is running away from us here. Other thoughts? Yeah, I don't want to add any kind of time to that. I just want to say that um, that was a good point. So even though I might be looking to Romans, as a tool to teach somebody about the different aspects of either the simple gospel or the mystery. Um, that I, you know, it's more important to um, transfer that um, sincere humility so that it's in humility that somebody is, is looking at these things right. and not, not looking at it from a, you know, being proven right or wrong or having to defend another stance or something. Yeah. Right. Let's see. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, good point. A good point for you too. I mean, just to to think about it, and the you know the thought is is really good for us to discuss. And, and maybe I wish we had more time. There's definitely more more to say about that. Um, so, but what we'll do is head right on into Romans. That's where we are today. Uh, Romans chapter eight. Some exciting things have occurred here from looking at these verses. I mean, if you've been here and followed along, you know what I'm talking about. How we are sons. That is the theme of Romans 8. And hopefully you have some excitement and interest and leaning forward mentality when you look at these verses. Because they're talking about you. This is our heritage our inheritance. Uh, we're not talking about Israel. <laughs> Some people get excited about Israel, about all those Old Testament passages. Uh, 
Nehemiah, how he built the wall, and, and oh boy, was it hard, and what did he do? He needed this, and he needed that. <laughs> they go on and on. Well, this here information is about you and your inheritance. And if we don't have interest about that, obviously, we are not ready for it. So, we don't beat beat it up too bad. We just teach it. And, you know, for those who need it, at least we lay down what it is we believe about it at the time. So, let's dig in a little bit. So, here it is, Romans chapter 8. I'll read, read a little bit so that we can catch up with the context. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? Uh, what they already have. So this part, uh, is where we are in 24. I think we finished 23, but there's all, oh, there's always more to say. Um, so just some quick highlights <coughs> to put us on the path of where we were. So we're, we're, what happens, we, we talked about first fruits and what that meant, the significance of it. So we, the groaning inwardly, what is that? What is that groaning inwardly? Well, it, it is hope. Verse 24 tells us, For in this hope, hope is this expectation, this, uh, this anticipation that is ours when, uh, in the future. We don't yet have it. So what are we talking about here? We're, we're going to get to more of that. But I just looked up some passages on that word groan. And what it means. So I just, even if we look at some of the other passages in Scripture where it's mentioned. So, and this is Mark 7.34. I'm just going to go through them really quick. Mark 7.34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. This is Jesus. When he says he sighed, he's, you know, it groaning takes you to a place where you've reached this hope within you. But you can't. It's almost like between a rock and a hard place. You know the next expectation that you have, but you're not there yet. So you've gotten to that place where you're longing for that next thing to happen. For us, as it says here in our verse, it is the, the adoption to sonship. And what is that? The redemption of our bodies. So this, uh, an eight. Uh, Mark 7.34, Jesus sighed and said unto him, Ephata, uh, that is, be opened. Right? That's in Mark 7.34. Uh, 
And if I were to look at that context, at this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. So this is Jesus. He That word is used right there. And then, obviously, in 8.23 it's used. How about in 2 Corinthians 5.2? It's also used. 2 Corinthians 5.2. Meanwhile, we groan. And here is the word right after the one I uh, linked it to. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So there you have... Uh, that word being used in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, and what was in the same context. Because while we were in this tent, this body, this temporary dwelling place, what do we come to realize? Our The hope that is within us. We come to know that we're sons and that God has a destiny for us. Not a destiny that just, oh, you'll be saved and you'll be on a cloud somewhere, but a destiny that says that we will affect the entire universe. God's going to destroy this universe, recreate it, and every vestige of sin, everything sin has touched, will be destroyed. And God will make everything new. And all of that hinges on the fact of the sons of God. So, as we look at this, we have to make sure we realize who he's talking about. He's not just talking about Christ coming and Christ making all these changes. He's talking about us. The glory that's in us will affect all of this. And what is that also to say? It's to say that God's eternal purpose revolves around all that he's done. Well, God is not flying by the seat of his pants. Just, just know. He knows. There's a plan that happened. And, and when we look at this verse in Romans, it, it literally says that. Uh, let me go back to 8, Romans 8. So this says... Um, this is the one, verse 20, 820. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. See, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There it is. So did God, when, when he caused the earth and he allowed the universe and all that to become corrupt he he allowed that in the hope that it would be liberated and that his plan would be complete by bringing many sons into glory so did god have the plan from eternity past absolutely here's another verse that says that that the that this is the hope uh, that the the creation and the universe has that it will be brought into the freedom well the creation was subjected to, uh, to frustration, not by its own choice. It didn't just decay. Right? These things didn't just go bad over time. They would have lasted forever, except for the fact that they were subjected to this frustration. They were the the results of sin were made to bear, uh, be brought to bear on the creation itself. So then, uh, the Second Corinthians. 5, 4, I know I'm jumping around, 2 Corinthians 5, he used to say, hold your finger on that 2 Corinthians, and we're coming back to Romans, but I can't do that anymore if your Bible is electronic. So 2 Corinthians 5, 4 is also a verse that has that word in it. 
For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but instead with our, clothed with our heavenly, heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So again, in that same context, we are dealing with uh, that whole thought of how it perplexes us. We get to this place where we're learning and we're learning and we're and it's and it's like wow this is amazing we're learning all these uh, fantastic things all the unsearchable riches the treasures of wisdom and knowledge right found in Christ and we're coming to understand and then we realize it's all about us and it was all about the father's eternal purpose all along and then we start realizing and longing for that time to come when we are have full recognition and realization of all that God planned for us from eternity past. So that hope in and of itself is it's a marvelous thing. Uh, Paul is going to give us a lesson on hope. That's what we're dealing with in these verses. So I want to go, let's kind of look at this. Uh, so so that we can have this better understanding, right? So we really finished Romans 8, 23 a while, a couple of sun, uh, Wednesdays ago, but now, as you can see, there's always more to talk about there. But we're going to move on. There's more. Uh, so in verse 24, For in this hope, this hope, we were saved. For in this hope, we were saved. And we're just going to take that phrase for a minute. What do we mean for in this hope? Uh, what is this hope? Can we just pull out of our hat any hope we want? Anything that we're in the expectation? No, we can't. What do we have to do, we must do, is look at what the context uh, is that will tell us what that hope is. So in this hope. Now, what was just described? Was it salvation? No, it was not. It's not salvation. That's not in the context. What is in the context? It's talking about sonship. Even if you go back all the way in Romans, it, it, it tells us about sons. And if we're son, if we're children, then we're heirs and we're heirs of God. And then the whole creation, uh, it's, it's not the, the the glory that's going to be revealed in us. It's not worth even comparing with the suffering that we have. And it goes on about how the creation. So we're talking about the effect that our sonship has on the creation of all things. That's what we're really saying. That's the hope. So what do we mean by hope? Is, is that we are waiting until it's complete. We're not finished yet. None of us have made these tremendous impacts that are mentioned in those verses on the creation. Not yet, we haven't. But guess what? We know that that's what our destiny is. We're sure that that's what our destiny is. So in this hope, that's what we're talking about. What we just covered, what, we, what was just described in the context, sons. That's what it is. And then we were saved. What do we mean we were saved? Are we talking about salvation? Because as soon as somebody sees the word saved, they're going to say it's about salvation. So, but, but we were saved. In other words, that is the reason why God called us from eternity past. 
That's the reason why he saved us. Now, I know we would like to think that we are saved because God just pitied us and, you know, he just loved us so much. And, you know, he just, that is the whole thing that we get saved. But that is not the whole thing in God's mind. God says, for in this hope, the fact of our sonship, that's what was first in his mind. He's, that's how we were saved. That's, that's the reason why we were saved in the first place. So salvation is realized in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved. Now that you have been saved comes from a Greek construction that says that it's an action that happened in the past with results that it, uh, it has results that continue forever. So, it's the aorist perfect tense. It says, an action that happened in the past with, with results that continue to be present and future and going on to the eternity. We are saved. We have been saved in the past. And, and this is the status of us. Uh, I, th I like to think about that from the standpoint of our, the moment we believed in Christ. But God knew us before we believed in Christ, didn't he? Because he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So we have to know that our salvation is secondary. Even though God knew we would be saved, he knew a lot of people were going to be saved. He knew every person that would ever be saved that would live on planet Earth. He knew them before he created anything. But he chose us. He took a small portion of those people who were saved. And he said, these are the people that I want to be sons. These are the people that are, that are going to have that tremendous effect on all things. So in this hope, we were saved. Right? And, and that, so when we think about what is already realized we have salvation that's that's a done fact right we don't have to hope for salvation that is not something that we hope we will be saved and i know you know uh the modern christian world has turned this around unfortunately they think salvation is a hope well you're saved yeah but we hope we we finally get saved in the end well what will happen between the time we're saved now and the time we're saved in the end. Well, it depends on what you do, right? Are you faithful? Are you doing what you, you know, the Christian works that are important to God? If you're not, then I don't know. No, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So that's, that's not a hope anymore. And that's not the hope in question here when it says we were saved. It's talking about the sonship hope. Because we don't fully have that. We have salvation, but we don't fully have the redemption of our bodies. That is the adoption to sonship, the full, fullness of it. So we have to say there's a thought in this. Faith and hope are related. They are. Now, just a quick understanding of how they're related. Go to Hebrews. Uh, my time. Yeah, we got plenty of good time. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So, this is verse 1. Now, faith. 
faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this is the thing when it says confidence in. Confidence in. What's faith in? Is faith in some my words? No. Faith in some good words that somebody pronounced over you that you're going to have some prosperity in your life? No. Faith is in the Word of God. Faith is in the revealed will of God. It's not just in anything. Faith in, well, I hope I get a, uh, a good job. I hope I get that raise. I hope I get that promotion. I hope I get, you know, I get a good car or a good house or, or, or I hope I get rich. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that we could hope for. But faith is confidence in the word of God. So it, it's, in, it's in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So we can't see God. We can't see his truth. And we can't see um, the effects. Not the effects, but we can't, see, we can't interview God and, and say, God, did you do this? And God says, yes, I did. And that's how we know. Well, how do we know what faith is? He illustrates it for us. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So it is, is it a real thing? Yes, because God is real. And it's abs- when, we, when we say we believe in, in the word or we walk by faith, what we're saying is we're walking by trusting in those things which God has revealed to us. What has he revealed? His word. He's promised us things. He's given us confidence about life so for instance he gives some examples verse 2 for this is what the ancients were commended for verse 3 by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command we didn't interview God but we understand that we now have the word of God we can put our trust in that and it allows us to understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So this says a lot, right? Because God is, you can't see God. He's invisible. But God made the universe what is seen, right? So that what is seen was not made out of what it was visible. In other words, God didn't take existing material and construct the universe. He made the universe out of nothing. There's a Latin term for that. They call it ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. He did not make, he did not use existing material to make the universe. So how do we, we come to understand that? See, faith is the very basic of it. God teaches us the word, right? We see it. The Holy Spirit teaches us. And we have a choice to make. We can say, yep, I believe it's true. I believe it. And then we come away understanding that the universe was formed at God's command. Now, of course, we talk about this whole, you know, uh, science, you know, how they look at intelligent design and all of these things. And what we come to realize is that they reject this information that faith, that God created the universe and how he did it and all of that. So they have to come up with their own information. And one of the things they come up with is this Big Bang Theory. They're saying there was all this matter and all of a sudden, it just exploded. And then, see, but that's not what the scripture says, is it? 
says it was made out of it is it, so that what is made or what is seen all the universe the creation was not made out of what is visible so it, it violates what god said so you know it would be so much better if these scientists would use their brain power to investigate all creation with the knowledge of what God has told them already, they would be so much further down the road of understanding about this universe and about science in general. But anyway, let's keep going. So then he gives examples. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Why? Because the word of God came to Abel. The word of God, God told Abel and Cain what to bring. Abel said, okay, I'm going to trust that you, you are saying this because you understand about reconciliation. God wasn't just saying, hey, by the way, bring an animal. You know, he was telling them the plan of salvation in all of this. Cain rejected that plan. Abel trusted in the word of God. And guess what it said? Interestingly, he became righteous. Right? God He was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. He's not able to speak to us. He still speaks because we have the same righteousness all the way back to Abel. That's how far your righteousness by faith goes back to. In Romans 4, we went, we traced it back to Abraham. Was not Abraham justified by faith when he offered Isaac? And, or, or, I mean, when he it says, was not Abraham our forefather? What's, what does it say about him? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That principle happened with Abel. So just think about it. Even though you are so far removed from the antediluvian world, but guess what you're not removed from? The fact that our salvation stems that far back. Abel's righteousness still speaks to us today. Same thing. That's what Paul, that's the, this is the writer of Hebrews here. What, and, and we're not going to go through all of this, but you can go through all of this yourself as you look at how by faith, all of these people did this. So then there's Romans. Take, take some time to look at this. Romans chapter 5. And so we can see some growth here, what it takes. Romans chapter 5. And we'll look at 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. In other words, put it in a right relationship with God because we have received righteousness. That's the reason why we're justified. It's not because we've done something or we proved to God that we're now good enough. We're justified because of the fact that we received his righteousness. Just like Abel was commended by God for, for the righteousness that he had based on his offering. Well, same thing with us. We're justified by receiving Christ, right? right by trusting in him. And receiving righteousness, so the justice of God looks at us and says, Okay, now, you got my righteousness, so you know I'm going to have to pronounce you justified. So we have, uh, and this one word here, 
uh, or this next phrase helped me out a lot when I was struggling with salvation by grace. This is 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what do we, what's our disposition? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I was Adventist and I was struggling with the law and I was struggling with grace and all these things, I didn't have that peace. I couldn't say it. I had been justified because I, I, could, I could be unjustified by my behavior, my actions. What God is saying here is that I have been justified through faith. And as a result of that, I have peace. I don't have to worry. I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to try hard to save myself or work to show God that I'm worthy of my salvation. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where peace comes in. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So the life of the Christian when it comes to salvation should be peace. We know that we have peace with God. We know that we're not struggling, that it is not works. It is, you know, that we have ceased from our works. And we boast, and here it is, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we're talking about the relationship between faith and hope. So let's keep going. Not only so, but, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So notice how it takes a little bit of trying to, 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 or testing us to see whether or not what we have in our hearts can end up being hope. Absolute confidence, an expectation of future event. Right? So, so that word hope, again, what does it mean? It's, it's that expectation or confidence, faith, hope, right? These are, uh, it's, and this word usually is an anticipating something with pleasure. This is, all comes from strong, the word elpis. So we know that hope is unique for us. And notice what it takes to get it. You don't just have this hope. Remember we talked about it in Romans 8, where he says, and this, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await. That's what that groaning feels like. We, just, we know we're going to get this thing, but we wait for it patiently. We're, we have that eager expectation. That's our hope. So here, notice it takes a lot before we have this sense of our destiny within ourselves. It, it, it's not just, oh, well, I believe and now I have this destiny. You don't even know about the destiny. It takes a little bit of suffering where you feel the opposition of the world being against you. You start to realize that you are not a part of this world and you stand a, apart from what the world's... Uh, motivations are the loves and the passions of the world are not your passions what you'd long for is the, the world to come where god's plan is fully realized within us so it produces perseverance suffering produces perseverance and, and 
perseverance, character, and character, hope. So it, so notice, it shapes and molds you so that you are single-minded when it comes to your destiny. In verse 5, hope does not put us to shame. Why? Why would we put to, be put to shame? Because the world has its own ideals and passions and lusts, but we have none of that. What about us? Our mind is set on things above, not on earthly things, says Colossians 3. Not on earthly things. So the world's going to mock us. They're going to tell us that what we believe is foolishness. And some of the things that I said, even tonight, if it were aired abroad in some way, people would say, aren't they crazy? You know what they think? They think that the whole universe revolves around them. I don't know how you can read Romans 8 any differently than that. Well, if, if I'm reading it wrong, please tell me where I've messed up. Because I'd love to hear it. I need to see how God is, uh, their context is something different than what Paul has already said. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why does, are we not ashamed? Why do we not care what the world says about us? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Now, we have a different motivation. Love. And I like what Ephesians 3 says. And to know this love that goes beyond knowledge. That we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So when we read this, this love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So that part of us, you might say it's the Holy Spirit saying that. No, it's us, because God has shaped, molded us, our character, right, through our perseverance, and we've come to realize who we are in Christ. And now it's this resolute confidence that we have, this expectation that even though we don't look like anything, even though... Uh, the, the sufferings are there, but they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. They're not worth comparing. So this is, back to Romans 8, back to Romans 8. And we are almost done here with tonight. Our time is almost gone. So, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Hope that is, that, I'm sorry, I said not seen. It is hope that is seen is no hope at all. So what, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that we have an expectation. And, you know, we could talk to Paul here because you know how in some churches where the person is really screaming and hollering and being very emotional, and they say, Preach! Well, what I want to say here is the same thing, except I want to change the word to teach. And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. Teach Paul. That's what he's doing. He's teaching us about hope here. And as we learn... And we're getting this message that is coming across. He has given us detail, detail, more detail. Teach. 
in fact, that is that is the thought as we read about hope. I mean, hopefully you get it. Now, I use the word hopefully wrong because I don't know if you're going to get it, but I would hope so. <laughs> but here, hope is a confident, a knowledge, a surety that what God said will come to pass. Not what Doug said will come to pass. I should say, I don't use hope in that way because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But, but when I put my trust in what God says about my destiny, I know what tomorrow brings. I know what the future holds for me. For in this hope, right, we were saved. In other words, that's why God saved us, for this purpose. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? Who, who hopes for what he already has? Nobody. Now, if you don't know what hope is, and you don't know the difference for the definition of what hope is, then you're not hearing the teaching of the apostle. You're not supposed to say, well, some people hope for what they don't already have. No. If you already have it, there's no need for hope. There's Hope is not a part of, of that anymore. You have realized what God has for you. Here's a good point. At the rapture, at the rapture, when that happens, that's when we will receive the redemption of our bodies. We won't have hope, this hope anymore. Because God will have given us everything that he has promised that he would give us from eternity past. I mean, when we first believed, he says, you were included in Christ when, when you heard the word of truth. This is Ephesians 1.13. You were marked in him with the seal. The promise... It says, let me turn to it, because, you know, I don't want to mis, misquote it. Ephesians chapter 1. He says, and, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Right? So notice, in this hope, you were saved. So this promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit? We have the first fruits. Same thing. Guaranteeing our inheritance. Guaranteeing it. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Why until then? Well, that's the rapture. The redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's the rapture. That's when it's over. You don't have to hope anymore because you got what God promised you. But do we have it now? No, we don't. Right now we have the deposit. We're living right before this until. Now the until could happen tomorrow. When God decides the church age is over, it could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. We don't know when that's going to happen. But we know when it happens, we no longer have this hope because that means that God has given us everything he has promised us. Yeah. So no one hopes for what he already has. That doesn't make any sense. Right? Make sure you understand hope as a confident expectation, an anticipation, a longing for something. And that longing gives you the sense of destiny that you have that wakes you up in the morning that gets you up and 
allows you to go to work and to do the things that sustain your life here on earth. But there's that overriding motivation that is within you, knowing who you are in Christ as you walk through that day, whatever it is you're doing. You know who you are. You are a son. You're important to God. You're not just somebody. You're not just ordinary. You're extraordinary. These are things that are said about us. We need to talk about it like this at this time because this, these are the verses that speak of it. I don't know when we should speak of it other than now. So this is the time when we have to say, I'm not patting ourselves on the back. I'm saying what God is tell, he's tell, telling us about ourselves. So no one hopes for it. I, I mean, hopefully you'll be satisfied with what God has planned for you from eternity past. What we hope for is only half of it. Guess what? God is going to be satisfied. God's going to be smiling when he completes the work that he planned in us. So there's two sides of it. There's the Godward side and there's our side. Well, how does God feel about it? Well, he's the one who planned it. I mean, he's probably more happy than we are because it was his goal to have this, not mine. I just came to learn about it. I understand it. And now I share in the love and the motivation with him about it. I'm going to be excited when it happens for sure. But God, wow, he's going to be satisfied. I'm going to be satisfied. And it will no longer be hope. Unfortunately, when you look at the world today and the Christian world, Many, plenty of people are pinning this whole thought on just salvation. Well, once you're saved, then you will have, you know, this hope, you know, that, that you will get saved. They don't see it as salvation as done, D-O-N-E, done, over, finished. They see salvation as a hope. Well, I hope I get saved. Are you saved? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm working toward it. I mean, I'm doing my best to live up to all that God has told me to do. And, you know, this is the wrong attitude, wrong thinking. We never are going to get to the other hope if we have been stuck thinking that we got to somehow attain salvation. God has already given us. I don't know what else he could tell us. It's just a free gift. It's not of yourselves. It, means you can, it's not, it doesn't even come from you. It's not from the source of you. It's, a, it's not of your works, not anything you can produce, even it, uh, and, uh, lest any man should boast, not by works done in righteousness, even things that God told you to do, and you do. Your salvation is not based on that. I don't know how else he could tell us it's free. It doesn't cost anything. And yet, we, we, so many people are stuck right there. They, they, they refuse, they refuse to believe God in this area. So they have no rest in their life. No peace with God. Well, this is how you truly have peace, is you trust in God's promises. You, you, you rest in his promises. You don't rest in your efforts, because that is fluctuating. You might do good in your estimation one day, you feel good about yourself. And the next day, you don't do so good and you don't feel so good about yourself. And on and on. God, to have peace with God. And then we can move on to living. 
God has expectations for us to live. And we can start learning what those expectations are. What did he make of us? What, what does he want us to do? What, what are the assets that we have been given? And we can begin to live on this earth with that hope. So, there's more that we could be, that should be said here. We'll finish it next week. We'll move on to the next verse, which is a small verse. Uh, but if we hope, this is verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet, do not yet have, and we don't have it, what, what's our posture? We wait for it patiently. We're, we're not sitting around every day, God, can you hurry up? Because we know that God is working things out according to his own plan. And as, like, like it's going to say in verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We're not telling God a rushing God. We are happy that God has put us in his plan and we are waiting eagerly, patiently for God to give us what he has promised. And, and that will happen very soon. So we're going to have to quit for this week, uh, time constraints. But we will continue with Romans 8 next week. I hope as you are going through these verses on your own, in your own private study, if you don't have a private study, then you are missing out on something grand. But in your private study, when you, where you're off to yourself, there's nobody else but you and God, read these verses, meditate upon them, Look at the enormity of what God is saying about us in these verses. And allow Paul to teach you what this hope is all about. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this privilege. And we pray as we glory in the things that we know about our destiny. We pray that you will continue to teach us. Give us wisdom about the verses that are before us. Thank you for those who are here. We thank you for the families of all of the church as well. We're asking uh, for the comfort from the word and from your spirit. We're asking for healing in those cases. That, uh, But in all of this, we are respecting your will. Whatever your will is, Lord, that's what we want. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.